Right, hello. Um, it's occurred to me I should perhaps have had some music playing while you all came in. That would have been a nice, would have made a nice atmosphere, wouldn't it? But instead, we just had this sort of sepulchral silence, um, which, well, chattering, but that's, you know, crypts are rather like that, aren't they? There's this sort of whispering and chattering happening in the corners. Um, so, certainly at the wrong time of day. Um, so, well, lovely of you all to come. Thank you very much. Um, I'm Samantha. I'm going to be guest hosting this evening's stand-up tragedy, which is a rather odd thought. You know, I'm a guest and a host, so I don't really know quite how to, <laughs> how to behave. I wasn't very, very host-like. I mean, I just sat in the corner, didn't I, like I was an ordinary guest, and then I, I popped up and expected you all to behave as if... I, anyway, so, but, I mean, you just carry on as you would normally. I'm not going to be here very... I'm going to be introducing, obviously, my, my people... Um, who <laughs> very kindly came along. Some of them are here, one of them is not. But um, <laughs> that's a little bit of jeopardy, doesn't it? So it's rather exciting. Um, doesn't matter. I mean, if we get out early, we all feel better about it, don't we? We've got more time in the sunshine. So um, um, I, should, I should probably say, um, I, there's not a lot of tragedy in my life. Um, I'm, a, you know, I'm a librarian, I think. Probably, you know, a book falling over and making a loud noise is fairly, you know, that's quite a surprising and an awful thing that happens. But um, <laughs> other than that, you know, it's not really, um, you know, I work, as I say, I mean, I, you know, it's quite exciting where I work, but I can't tell you about it because I signed the official Secrets Act. So, um, <laughs> so there are tragedies around. Um, I mean, a small tragedy, I suppose. I have, a, I have a, an American intern at the moment, um, which is not something I call her the work experience girl because it annoys her. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think her parents work in the building or something. But what I've been doing um, is uh, when she goes behind a bookshelf or something, I've been ringing a little bell. I have just very softly on my on my. I keep it in a drawer so she doesn't know I have it. Um, trying to persuade her that we are built over a, over a leper colony or something. Um, so, which she's. I don't think she's. Um, the awful thing is when she, when she's uh, a couple of times when she's been out of, and I'm sure she's out of the building. There has, I've heard a little bell, <laughs> ringing somewhere. So I'm not sure. I, anyway, so but that's um, so I should say so. Um, as I say, so I'm not exactly. I'm not. I don't. I mean, stand-up tragedy is one of those evenings where I don't know what you're expecting. I, well, I, we, we, not, we don't have time to ask you all, but um, because it would be nice if we could supply it. But um, so, <laughs> but. Perhaps if you come often enough, you'll find. Um, so, but it's so it's a it's an evening it's an evening of tragedy, but not necessarily. I mean, it might not make you cry. It might you know might make you laugh. You the idea. I think Dave, who's probably hiding here somewhere in the, he's really the man who is in charge of stand up tragedy. He says we we make you. Oh, there he is. Um, we make you. We make you laugh until you cry and cry until you laugh. Is that right? That was something like, it's a beautiful sentence. Um, and so the idea, so it could be, my, so I've invited um, four people who are going to come and uh, I think tell you stories and, and do things and uh, everything they do will, will have some connection to, to tragedy and it might be a true story, it might be something they thought of, um, it might be a combination of all of those things. Um, and so it, we, we, we are, we are, this is another sentence that he, that he uses, we offer a safe space to talk about unsafe things. Um, so, leave your expectations outside. Um, all sorts of things might happen. Um, generally, well, whenever I've come to stand-up tragedy, I, I've had my mind opened, and uh, it's a beautiful journey. Um, but please don't... I mean, we, we were reviewed the day I came and told a story last year, and the reviewer didn't see the point of it at all. It was quite interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I, when I, uh, she, she mentioned that I'd got up to tell, uh, so she said, another bland tale of woe from Samantha Man. 
and then gave up. No, nothing else was reviewed after that. So I don't know. But anyway, so that's so that's to say that's. Um, I feel as though I said too much. This is probably I probably do. I was doing rather well two or three minutes ago, wasn't I? And now I've I've done so. Um, what we should probably do, we should practice um, getting a little bit excited about people coming to the microphone because it's it's evening time and it's it's we're halfway through the fringe, aren't we? And you look a little bit tired. I have to say, it's perhaps it's just the shape of your eyes, but um, <laughs> uh, we we could sort of spruce everybody up, couldn't we? So um, could we practice a little bit of applauding? So applauding um, just. <laughs> Well done. Oh, very nice. So keep going, keep going. And I would like to invite to the microphone a very good friend of mine, Catriona James. I have a tragic flaw, and, uh, and that flaw is depression. And this is very, very closely linked in my mind to the last time I was at the Edinburgh Fringe. It was a while ago. It was 2009. 2009 was a big year for me. I was still living in London. I'd gone to drama school there, and I, I stayed there for a few years. Um, but I was moving to Cardiff at the end of the summer. Uh, my parents were also visiting. Uh, they don't they don't live in the country, so they pass through, and I see them maybe once or twice a year, and it's really intense. It's a really short period of catching up and getting to know each other and trying to do normal family stuff all in a very short space of time. They were also sleeping on my bedroom floor. You know? Like, there is no force on this planet strong enough to make my parents book a hotel room. So they were sleeping on my bedroom floor, because in London, who has spare bedrooms? So that was, that was part of the stress. A um, few other things, 2009 was also the year that I turned 30. Um, and I, I'm not bothered about getting older, but I think these milestones are actually quite important. Like, the turning of a decade is like a new year. So I turned 30 that year. I was also already starting to get depressed. Probably at the time, I don't think I admitted it to myself, but that was one of the reasons I was leaving London, is I just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, and I was also falling in love. Now, the last two things are linked in my head, and I know that sounds crazy, because love is meant to be like fields of flowers and birds singing and stuff, but um, I found it really, really unsettling. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go on and tell you a bit more, and when you hear that, you're gonna be like, uh, no, 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 that was the shit that was making you depressed. But bear with me, I think love was a large factor in that. I'm quite a, a loner by nature. I enjoy my own company, I can spend days on my own, and I'm, I'm perfectly happy. Um, I do also like people, you know? All four of my friends, I, I make an effort to see. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm a performer, and so I spend a lot of time uh, interacting with people and connecting with people, and that's what I do, and that's what I love, but then I have to go in, I have to recuperate. So falling in love was difficult. Now, I think sometimes people get depressed, or depression can get worsened uh, by something that makes you feel profoundly unsafe. And that could be anything, right? That could be someone you love dying, it could be a car accident, the sort of things that people accept, you know, as reasonable causes. Or it could be something that seems really trivial, but is absolutely monumental in your personal landscape. Now, falling in love is not trivial. And I was falling in love, and I was struggling. It was unsettling that um, someone else's happiness and someone else's state of being was not just as important to me as my own, but superseded it. The vulnerability, I could not handle the vulnerability. And I was also not supposed to be falling in love. And this is where we get to the context. The person I uh, was falling in love with was a man. He was married to a woman. That's not the tragedy. 
they had an open relationship and for the previous year and a half, two years, I guess, I had been friends, I had been lovers with both of them and it had been wonderful. It had been really, really lovely. She was falling in love with someone else and to all their friends, it was becoming apparent and it was really difficult to see, especially if you had a seat in the front row, <laughs> as it were. Um, so that wasn't meant to be happening. And I had known from the beginning that he wasn't available, but something had changed. And I don't know what it was, maybe it was sympathy or whatever. As soon as the change happened, you know, it's there and you, you can't do anything about it. I loved him and that wasn't meant to be. Now, in the midst uh, of all this, my parents were coming to visit. Um, I was stuck in London. Uh, the person I loved and, and his, his wife um, were having a bit of a separation that summer, I guess. She was spending the summer with her lover. He was spending the summer with a friend, an old friend of his who'd come over from the States to visit him. Um, I was in London feeling increasingly isolated and lonely, but I wasn't really part of that equation. So, you know, that was just the way it was. Um, and my parents show up and I can't explain to them why I'm unhappy, you know? Like, it's hard enough in here, I can't see you, which helps, but it's hard enough in here talking about queer relationships. But, you know, sitting down and having that conversation with my parents, like, it wasn't going to happen. I mean, queer relationships aside, like, go home, talk to your parents about your sex life, let me know how that went. <laughs> Come back, you know, and then I'll have the conversation with them. So, they knew I was unhappy, um, but they didn't know why. The timeline was, they were visiting, uh, I was going to quit my, my job in London, um, and then we were going to go up to Edinburgh, where my sister lived, and we were going to catch some of the fringe. So we did that. Uh, everybody in the Bizarre Love Pentagon was also in Edinburgh. Um, my sister was amazing. She still is amazing, actually. She's an absolute lifeline when I'm struggling. And she kind of took care of my parents, and she left me the space to do what I needed to do which was to have a breakup conversation without really ever having the relationship. So I met the guy that I was in love with. We went out for breakfast one morning, drizzly Edinburgh morning to a cafe, and uh, I had to explain to him that even though I cared really deeply about him, we couldn't be lovers in the future. I had to try not to care about what he was going through, and that was really difficult because I could see that he was struggling. It had a real feeling of finality to it because even though he had been living in Cardiff, there was the risk that if his marriage broke up, he would return to the States where he was from. And if I thought about that for too long, it was like this massive hole opened up in front of me. So I was just trying not to think about it. And he was obviously very upset at how hurt I was. But um, I do also remember him saying, Edinburgh's probably a really good place to be depressed. Like he'd been brokenhearted once in San Francisco, you know, and there were, tanned, healthy, happy people around him, and the sun was shining, and it was like this personal affront from the universe. Whereas Edinburgh, you know, apart from today, I guess, it's all gray stone and rain and this big fucking mountain in the middle of it all, you know? <laughs> it's like everything is attuned with your feelings. So if you're gonna choose a place to be depressed, you know, I recommend Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> after that conversation in the cafe, we, um, I kind of death walked around Edinburgh for a few days. I wasn't particularly good company. Um, depressives aren't really good company. We're really preoccupied with ourselves. Um, I remember saying once, uh, probably in response to a totally banal question from my sister, like, do, do you want to go for dinner tonight? Saying, no, I want to go back to London and jump off Waterloo Bridge. And I can laugh about it now because I sound like a, like a stroppy 16-year-old. And it, it wasn't a genuine suicide threat. 
I didn't want to be alive, but I knew that I didn't have the wherewithal to change that. Um, I don't really remember very much for the rest of that, that trip. Uh, it's all kind of a gray fog, which is something else that depression does. It just takes away your memories and just flattens everything out. Um, but I do remember the occasional glint of sunshine in that, like a friend who, in the middle of a crazy schedule of street shows and stand-up comedy, um, just lay down and cuddled me for an hour, which is what I needed, just animal contact. I went back to London, I packed up my entire flat, and I moved to Cardiff. And what followed were probably the hardest two years of my life. Um, I spent a lot of time just sitting in my room uh, in Cardiff. I didn't, couldn't work. Uh, I didn't want to work, but it, it felt really difficult to try and make myself to. And I, and I think I needed that, and that's why I had to leave London, because I could not afford to do that in London. Um, there were, uh, it felt like a huge victory if I, if I managed to make it out of the house for like simple things. I was, trying to go for, I was trying to go for a run every day just because, you know, exercise, it's meant to help you when you're depressed. But I have been a, a super fit half marathon running depressive and uh, I guess it just doesn't work for everybody. But I try to do it anyway. It's part of my sort of self-care. Um, and, uh, and there were other moments when, when I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, I remember on a camping trip to the Gower, which I had gone on because I didn't want to be left at home alone for the weekend, sitting on a sand dune looking at the sea and thinking how easy it would be just to walk into the ocean and disappear. And then I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't want it to be like this. And that period was a real turning point for me. I went to see a doctor, I got on meds, I got counseling, and I started to claw my way out of it. Um, I learned a lot from those two years of depression. Um, and I've been a depressive since my, my teens. I know this is something that's not going to go away, but having survived it makes me feel like I could again. And that feels like the sort of agency that I need over myself, if that makes any sense. Um, I feel like depression is there, kind of at the edge of my vision, like, like a sort of dark cloud. And I have a list of, of fears in my head, of things that, if they happened, I don't know what I would do. And it makes me scared of myself. But I try not to think about them too much, because the other thing that those two years taught me is that I just really have to live today. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Now, Kat, um, I should ask you, is there anything you want to plug while you're here? Well, because yes, there is, actually. Uh, not a show that I'm in, but my partner's company, Mary Bijou uh, Cabaret and Social Club, great show called Pitch. It's uh, a cabaret show about the films of Alfred Hitchcock. So um, Kat will be... Yeah, very good. Um, Kat will be flyering for that. I've seen it. It's very, very good. And I haven't seen any Hitchcock films, and I still think it's good. So um, I recommend that to anybody. Um, right. Um, how are we doing? Are we? Um, there are some chairs around the place. If you wanted to come in and sit down, um, the you don't... Oh, or leave. Yes. That's also good. Yes. Take the opportunity. Uh, to there we are. So now you've got some chairs to slip into if you wanted to. Um, I'm going to ask the second. Are we? How are we doing? Are we all right? Yes, good, good. So just 
I mean, I was going to say put up your hand if you're not, but I can't see you, so I don't. It doesn't. Well, you can still put up your hand, but it won't. Right. I'm, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to ask this. So I met. I met this performer in Buxton this year. I was at the Buxton Fringe Festival, which I also recommend to anyone. It's a lovely little festival, lovely little town, very friendly people. Once you get talking to them, um, they're not friendly on first sight, but they are. It's a very strange atmosphere out there. They lots of glaring, and then and then when you talk, they're actually all right on the inside. So. Um, <laughs> Rather the opposite of Kensington, where I live. Um, so um, very strange. Um, and I was I was fortunate enough to meet um, to meet Joanne Tremarco and her and her. Can I call a partner, Chris? Yes, I don't. I mean, I don't want to tread on any, but that's that's all right. Is it right? Golly good. So partner, Chris. Um, and um, he's a man. I mean, I'm not saying it's not that I'm. You know, there's no. But I mean, he's. You know, I'm just. Jolly difficult these days, anyway. So, um, but I'm going to. So, I'm going to ask. Um, I'm going to ask Joanne to come up. And, um, ladies and gentlemen, you were wonderful last time with the applause. I, I mean, I was thinking we would just do a practice and then do a real run, but you were so good. We just carried on, didn't we? So, I want you to do that again, ladies and gentlemen. Could you please start the applause? <laughs> wonderful, Joanne Tomatin. that I never really got to know her. 
she'd wake up in the middle of the night with these night terrors and just scream and scream and so I knew there was something deep under the surface and as a daughter who lived in her womb for nine months I could really feel that but there was no way of getting through to that so in this time I we had these conversations about saving her and I'd just like to take you to the bedroom where I first introduced my mum to the possibility of curing her through masturbation. So if you could just imagine uh, my mother and me sitting on a bed with blue stripes on the sheet and it's one of those bright, strange, tacky bedroom lights that people seem to have. My mum has one. And uh, here we are in the bed together and it's it's bright, and I'm wondering whether we'll get to know each other a bit more today, whether I'll find words to tell her how much I love her. I'm hopeful. Oh, hiya, babe. Hiya. Come and sit by me, look. Come and have a seat there. Oh, let me hold your hands. Oh, you've always had nicer hands than me. So, what cures have you got for me today, darling? You've been asking any of your friends in Glastonbury. <laughs> I would love, I would love. You know, the thing is, I didn't realise how much I liked living until today. <laughs> Quite a shame, really. You only really understand how important life is until you're faced with death. Hiya, Mum. Yeah, <laughs> hiya, darling. Yeah, I've got, I've got a cure. <laughs> I met this really interesting German couple at a festival once. They'd cured her cancer through having sex. Oh, love, I don't feel like having sex now I'm dying. That's the last thing I feel like doing. I mean, your dad's very heavy. <laughs> and I'm very sore. Everything hurts, love. It's only you that I can handle touching me now because you're so light with your touch. Mum, doesn't let Dad hear you say that. He wants to help, he just doesn't understand. He just wants to hold you and... Anyway, this cure. I've got a book, Mum, I'll just get it out. <laughs> Cultivating female sexual energy. <laughs> look, Mum, look at the picture. <laughs> Well, these spirals, that's your energy going up out of your head. A double helix. <laughs> Once you've... What are you expecting me to do, love? <laughs> Babe. <laughs> you know I love you and I'll try almost anything you say. And I love all the reiki you give me. I want you to love yourself. Mum, Mum, why don't I hear how 
видите. The ancient Taoists knew the secret to eternal life. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, no, the, the, the ancient Taoists, it says it here, Mom. Give, give me a minute. Babe, why is the room going on in again? I feel like there's all these people in here. And there's a leprechaun over there in the corner and it's coming for me, babe. Oh, oh God. I, I know your name. I can't remember anyone else's right now. Mom's alright. I love you. I'm sorry I was such a horrible daughter. You know, I, I feel like all the times I didn't call you. I feel like that's what's killing you. All the times I made you worry. I feel like that's added to what's going on. Oh, babe, don't be silly. If it was that, the doctor would have told me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, babe. Anyway, let's get back to the book. Mommy says here that if you rub your breasts clockwise, <laughs> down into your, we call it your horror, into your horror. Your horror? <laughs> That's a, very strange. I've never heard of that before. Mummy, if your horror is, is here. Oh, okay, love, okay, love. Do you want to show me? <laughs> Mum, yeah, okay. I don't mean like that, love. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I show you the diagrams you mean. <laughs> Imagine my line drawing here. So when we breathe all this energy into you know, baby, you really don't feel sexy when you're dying. <laughs> look, look, look. It's a lovely idea. And I wish show you how much I love you and I think that if I taught you how to love yourself and if I love myself better well maybe it would be a different thing maybe I wouldn't be ill maybe there's something in what you're saying but <coughs> you go away with your book and you learn to love yourself <coughs> took me 25 years to realize I was lovable 25 years with your dad before I realised he wasn't making up. 25 years. I only just decided I'm worth loving. Now you, you promise me you'll do it today. Oh, I'm going to miss you. Well, if you believe in the Catholic stuff, I'll be watching you all. Oh, Mum, no. <laughs> I think I might lay you to rest. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Joanne Tremarco. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and what, what are you here to, to plug, Joanne? Well, probably not unexpectedly, but I'm doing a show 
Wonderful. Well, yes, and I've seen it, and it's 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 well, it's challenging in parts, but it's jolly good. I really, I very much recommend. It. And are you also you're also performing on the street, aren't you? Yeah, uh, um, as a pair of genitals. <laughs> and and the right. So jolly good um, entertainment for for the adults at least. I don't know. You look too young to be. Um, you should probably not be. So, um, is it is it warm in the room? I should ask that. How are we feeling towards the back? All right, little chirrups of uh, medium, because it is a room, I mean, obviously it's Monday, so it's not the hottest day. If you were here on Saturday, it's pretty grim down here, I have to say, in this basement. Oh, it's not a basement, but it feels like a basement. Um, and so, well, anyway, just to say, if you think you're going to faint, probably the best thing is to stay where you are, um, because obviously if you stand up, you'll faint. So just... Um, <laughs> Stay where you are, and then or edge out or something. But um, just make sure you're feeling all right. I'm going to um, I'm going to ask our third guest to come up. Um, so this is this is a performer who I've, I've seen here on the fringe this year. Um, she does a wonderful, wonderful show, which we'll talk about afterwards. Um, are you ready to applaud, yeah. Yeah. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Joanna Neary? much. Um, I really got the wrong idea about tonight. Now I feel like a fool. I was walking down the road thinking, uh, well, um, stand-up. I don't do stand-up. Um, tragedy. I don't really have anything tragic in my life. I've got uh, tragic stories, but I've not fought them through enough, so I can't tell you them because they'd be too harrowing um, and I wouldn't do them justice. So um, I'm, I've got a rather flim-flammy set now after those deeply moving things. And I don't know about you, but are there any performers in? Put your hand up if you're a performer here at the Fringe. Yeah? And uh, put your hand up if you're really tired and you're a tourist. Anyone who's not a performer is just knackered. I don't know about you, but I just keep crying all the time. <laughs> I think it's living off flapjacks and oatcakes and having blisters, isn't it? So I'm, vu I'm vulnerable anyway, and I really don't know how I'm meant to follow these incredible things, but I'll have a go. So now, the, the pathetic thing I was going to chat to you about was how I um, find it quite tragic how, um, when you're young, you think you're so beautiful and wonderful, hopefully, and then that gets knocked out of you. I find that quite upsetting. And uh, I remember my mum was a teacher in a school, an uh, assistant teacher, and she said she hated looking at assembly and seeing all those lovely angelic faces, and she'd just think, good God, what you've got to come. Which is a very pessimistic view, and that's what she's like. But it is a very, very par poor part of Cornwall, and there isn't really much for people. And, and there are some awful things that go on there, like there are everywhere. So, uh, so fair enough, mum. Uh, but but uh, yes, now, you see, I thought that I was incredible when I was young. I thought I was really beautiful, mainly because I'm really short-sighted and I didn't wear my glasses. And then when I got contact lenses when I was 15, I saw my face for the first time, and, and I was quite horrified. And, um, and then I discovered when I was... 32 and I was in a, a f filming thing with Johnny Vegas um, I discovered I was plain because the script I had in it she's not bad for a plain girl and that was me and I was quite shocked I had no <laughs> idea and um, and then Johnny Vegas and the writer had a chat about who would play us it, this was ideal I don't people either love this series and know it or they've never heard of it it was a real cult series that was buried by the BBC because it was about drugs but anyway uh, they had a chat about who would play us if it was a famous cast so Johnny said he would be played by Peter Kay and uh, I would be played by Pamers, the little shit. So yeah, and I saw a photograph of Pamers the other day on a book and, and had another little cry whilst eating a flapjack. Um, so uh, yeah, so I was thinking, well, I'm not going to talk about really tragic things because I've not thought them through enough to do them justice. So I was thinking about the pathetic little things. <laughs> I, I, I can't be really bothered because it's so pathetic. I was thinking about things like um, uh, saying things that aren't tragic that were a little bit tragic at the time uh, in a tragic kind of way. So let's try it. I almost left my iPhone in a hammock. 
That was the most, that was the most middle class combination of things I ever had in a sentence. Yeah, anyway, so that's an idea of something. Uh, here's another one. I had a bad education and I'm really quite ignorant. And uh, once I was playing um, Articulate, and uh, this is one of the clues. My, my partner in the game got so angry. It was Brian. Tilly knows Brian. He's quite clever. He knows a lot, doesn't he? And he was my partner. He got so angry with me. Because the, these are some of my clues I gave. Um, this is um, Umbongo, Umbongo. They drink it in the... And he went, Congo. Really annoyed. <laughs> and, then I, um, and then I couldn't tell him what the capital of Northern Ireland was. That was pretty bad. I was 27. Anyway, um, so anyway, I, 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 another thing is I think I'm too boring as myself. So I do character comedy, right? That's why this bit is just weird and kind of boring because I don't feel like I've got much to tell you about myself in real life. So I do characters. So I'm going to just do a, little, a couple of my little characters, okay? And I think that... When you do character comedy, I think that there's a lot of you in those th those things. And one of my characters is based on the woman in Brief Encounter, Celia Johnson, its character in Brief Encounter. And um, what I love about that film is how she doesn't have she has an affair with that man, but she goes back to her husband. And I think the lesson in the film is it you may feel like you're boring you're you're in a boring relationship but actually to go off with someone else you would just have different problems and when she goes back to fred at the end of that film if you don't know the film you have to watch it there's a beautiful thing at the end where he says and this makes me cry you've been very far away haven't you thank you for coming back to me <laughs> it's really beautiful anyway that's just me being sad on flapjacks again um so anyway i'll just show you um um how plain i am if you can't see at the back But in my mind, I look like Kate Bush and I dance like Britney Spears. <laughs> so I'll do a couple of my characters now, okay, because that's more interesting than I am. Is that all right? I know it's really odd after seeing these two beautiful things that I'm just nattering on. But anyway, here we go. That's all I can do. So uh, this is, my, um, this is my, my stupid poem. This is called Nigella Lawson. I don't lick cream off my fingers like Nigella Lawson while walking down the stairs, and I'll tell you why not, because I live in a bungalow, why not? What's that? And finally, to end my bit, <laughs> um, I'm now going to do, because this is a podcast, I thought I would do my little radio play. I thought it would go quite well on the podcast. Is that all right? And then someone on Radio 4 might pick it up. Anyone in? Radio 4. I think it'll fit really well in the middle of Woman's Hour. So uh, this is my little play now. It's based on Celia Johnson's Brief and Catter, and I hope you like it. Thank you. Hello. Tonight I was going to show you how to make a cover for your iPad out of an old slipper sock. But I've had a rather dramatic week, so instead I thought I'd tell you all about it. Tuesday. I need to renew my television license. It's a frightful bother, but we're getting sick of travel go and word yahtzee in the evenings. Last night I played Murder in the Dark, and Fred couldn't find me for an hour and a half because I sat in his chair by the fire. Then my niece Fiona said it was a case of hashtag everyday sexism until Fred pointed out I'm welcome to sit in his chair any time I like. And then Fiona was forced to remove her vitriolic post. And I have... <laughs> I have no idea what any of that means. Anyway, I need to renew my television license. I don't know, every time I leave the house something dramatic happens. Oh well, needs must I suppose. Wearing my new headscarf, it's from Coventry Cathedral, I set off through Laburnum World to Thicket Post Office. I saw and waved at Margaret and Mrs. Coyle. <laughs> she really is terrifically ugly. Her hair was a sort of claret and her coat was all lumpy and in her giant carrier bag she had a dozen toilet rolls. Really, she didn't seem the least bit bashful about it. I arrived at Thicket Post Office in plenty of time. There was a queue and so I took my turn. I decided to have a look at the leaflets on display. 
I do find them fascinating. All those little tick boxes, those official looking betting shop biros, and that piece of old wet sponge to help you turn the pages give me wild aspirations to become a secretary, which is of course a nonsense. <laughs> then I decided to have a look in my handbag and the usual detritus lay therein. One travel cruet, my emergency drawers, a spare book token which I keep leaving on the dresser, mini mahjong, mastermind, three crayons and a doodle pad, a magnet with pins stuck to it, I spy of trees and birds and a mint, and tucked away in the corner was a little Christmas cracker toy left over from last year. You know the sort of thing, a little glass disc with a piece of wobbly chain, and you use it to make a funny profile. I know it sounds silly, but I did a lady with a weak chin. It looked like Michael Gove, which made me laugh. Feeling very pleased with myself for having such fun in an everyday queue, I looked up and saw I'd reached the front. Boom, boom. Cashier number three, please. Cashier number three. Cashier number three. At first, I didn't see his face. He was bending to pick up a stamp or something, but then he turned and, well, I know it sounds silly, but well, the twinkliest eyes I've ever seen looked at me. <laughs> I need a television license, is all. Name? Celia. Celia Jessen. Miss or Mrs.? I felt myself blushing. Oh, I, I didn't understand. Perhaps he was making love to me. I quite liked it. <laughs> I wanted to go home and lie down. I felt like shouting, does it matter? Next you'll be asking me where I live. Oh, seven days without British Bake Off or Country File. And now to be here confronted by a royal male male. He looked like an exhibit of a brave worker behind glass. Not unlike that little cr Christmas cracker toy I'd rattled around so gaily only moments before. Only his was a much stronger jawline and a more pronounced proboscis. And I began to laugh. I laughed and I laughed, my face pressed up against the glass, twirling a little blue pen around my fingers like a coquettish majorette. I looked up and saw he was laughing too, laughing with me like a clown in a scary film, only handsome and dashing, with his jawline and his conch. I thought I heard music coming from the nearby office, and in my mind I saw us dancing together in a sorting office carousel. Do you love working here very much? I do. Which do you prefer, first class or second? First, of course. I say, is that a letter or a packet? Neither, I'm just pleased to see you. <laughs> I say, you are awful. I know, but seriously, it's a large letter. I don't understand. It's our new system. It depends on scale as well as weight. Go on. Well, you see, if you have a plastic rectangle, your letter fits inside the smaller rectangle, it means it's a normal size stamp. If it fits inside the larger rectangle, that means it's a larger size stamp. If it doesn't fit inside the smaller slot, that means it's going to fit into the bigger slot. If it doesn't, it means it's a small packet. That's £2.40 for second class, £2.80 first. I've seen people literally jumping up and down on their post, ironing it flat, trying to get it through the smaller bracket. Oh gosh, modern life is so terribly confusing. Perhaps I could do a little play about it and be on Radio 4 and tell people. <laughs> Whatever, I don't have all day, you know, there's a queue. <gasps> and suddenly I was back there in the post office. That'll be over 150 pounds, he said. And then he'd process my license and I'd tick the box Mark Mrs. and hurried home, leaving cashier number three far behind. And when I got home, Fred met me in the hall. He was holding the Friday ad and had Battenberg crumbs down his waistcoat. Darling, I put on the television, there's nothing on. Never mind, I've got Sudoku. Help me with it, would you? Top line, eight. Gap one, four. <laughs> gap, gap, five. Oh, Fred. As you sit there now, listing numbers in a sort of drone, whilst filing a thruppenny bit to make a propeller for your scale model dreadnought, <laughs> I decide to have a sort through my handbag. And there on top of the cheeky little Christmas cracker toy is the face of cashier number three, his little chain in perfect place, his little jawline and his conch, and then with one shake of my wrist he's gone, and I'm back home, Fred, back home to you. And the next line is one something nine, it's three, Fred! 
Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Oh, wonderful. So that was Joanna Neary. I'm rather a fan of Pam Ayers, actually, myself. Um, so, um, um, Joanna, what are, you, what are you plugging? Oh, I'm doing a show at the Assembly Rooms. I'm so proud. Ooh. There's a chandelier. And it's the one on the other side of town that no one ever goes to. So uh, it's quarter to eight in the evening. So do come if you can. What's it called? Um, it's called um, Faceful of Issues because it's a um, Nat Celia character dealing with modern life. Wonderful. Face full of issues. You'll have to buy your tickets in advance. So it's the opposite of what we do here. I'll explain that in a moment. Um, so we should, we should, we should, um, we've, we're coming rapidly to the end. Um, I'm just going to invite my last guest to come up. And um, perhaps I should tell you before I do that actually about the bucket. Um, so who's, who's, who's been to a free fringe show before? Yes, a few, all of you. So um, more or less. So you understand how it works. Um, it is free, um, but it's not entirely. I mean, it, it does cost us money to come to Edinburgh. I mean, not me, because I'm not doing the show. But um, these people are putting on the show, and it costs a certain amount of money to put it on. So we do ask for money. The free fringe. Sorry, I'm doing my bucket speak, but fast, because I know we're running out of time. Um, and it's from last year, so I don't remember it very well. But um, <laughs> so the point is, uh, the point is that the free fringe gives you the chance to come in and walk out, as those people have very kindly demonstrated. Um, if you <laughs> if you don't enjoy yourself. Um, but if you do enjoy yourself and you have stayed to the end, we just ask you to, to contribute. Um, and we would say, you know, if you go to the assembly rooms and see Joanna Neary as I did, you spend really quite a lot of money. So, um, not that I want it back. Um, so, um, absolutely fine. It was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, um, sometimes people give you comps and sometimes they don't. Um, but that's, I mean, that's how it goes at the fringe. That's absolutely... But that's all right. Um, so, nothing... I mean, absolutely... Um, so, um, sorry, we should we should soap. Um, um, but just to say, somebody will be there at the back with a with a bucket. So if you have five or ten pounds, twenty pounds, fifty pounds, but no one's ever given fifty pounds, I think, in the history of the. But um, could be a first, couldn't it? Um, anyway, so we'll we'll be doing, and then these people will be flyering, um, and um, let's right last guest. <laughs> that that's a good idea, isn't it? Um, ladies and gentlemen, you've been just wonderful tonight. I'm going to invite my last guest up. Um, she's also doing a wonderful show, which I'll tell you about afterwards, or we will tell you about afterwards. Um, ladies and gentlemen, um, the, the host of Saturday night's stand-up tragedy, or half of it, um, Paula Varjek. Just to make um, Harv's life really interesting, I, I brought a backing track, but I'm I'm late, so we're just gonna see how the levels go. Yay, free fringe! Um, have you ever used an iPod before, Harv? This is like the it's an iPod. I don't even remember. Do you remember what the iPod Touch or iPod Face or iPod Foot? I don't really know what it's. It's a pre pre and now one. Um, so I was I was gonna do a different piece, but I started to think it through, and it was so tragic, so depressing that I was like, mm, I don't think I can handle that after week one of the Fringe and flyering for hours. I don't really want to cry in front of you guys. So I'm going to do something which is like a small tragedy. It's a piece about, this is me scrolling, trying to find the backing track. It's a piece about something that I used to really, really, really love doing. And then this thing happened. And then I now I don't do it anymore. Does that qualify as tragedy? Yeah? yeah? OK, cool. So. I know it's very professional. I'm like, I am, I am very professional. Real. Real. 
So I used to love going to strip clubs. I used to spend the kind of money on strippers. I could have sustained a cocaine addiction. I used to go to strip clubs a lot. What did I get off on? Are you serious? Everything. Beautiful women with these perfect sinewy legs, bodies in dim spaces, undulating to bass and trembling through their thighs with these hip-shaking beats. But the thing that I got off on was eye contact. I loved the eye contact because that's what made it feel real. See, um, the thing about a table dance, well, a table dance is intimate. It's not as intimate as a lap dance, but it's intimate enough. If you've never had one, let me explain. So you're sitting on a chair, legs spread as wide as you can, and then the stripper, she dances between your legs, bends over, gets right up in your face, and then you can't touch. But the tension is all of the fun. But the thing that I got off on was eye contact. I wanted to cement the fact that this was not this act that she was performing, no. I wanted to make it clear that I wanted this and she was doing it for me. And several seconds later, I'd see a change in her eye or a hint of a smile. Some small thing understanding that I wanted her only. I wanted her specifically, well for, I mean for the moment anyway. It must have been better than the guys that she danced for. She would understand that I needed her on this deeper level, that it made it more real, I thought. There was this one club I go to, it was women only on Tuesdays, and I was such a regular that when I went on my birthday, all of the dancers wanted me up on stage. And there was one in particular who was kind of flirting with me intensely, but she must do that with everyone, so I didn't take it seriously or ever think I would see her out of the club. I couldn't tell you how long after it was. It might have been a year or even only several months, but I'm sat in a cafe in my neighborhood with a bacon sandwich and whatever tabloid newspaper someone left behind, and then this voice calls out my name. But the woman who called it out, she wasn't someone I'd ever met, and my name is pretty common. But then she calls it out again, and this time gives me a little wave. She crosses the cafe, sits across from me, and I still had no idea who she was. I remember thinking, I have never met someone who wears so much makeup. Do you live around here then? She said. Yeah, um, where do we know each other from? She laughed and told me her name. Said that it was her stage name, but she didn't mind me knowing her real name, which she told me as well. And she said I looked good, that she was glad to have my company as she launches into her personal affairs with a little too much detail, and then finally something in that face clicks. I hadn't recognized her because she wasn't looking so great. Her foundation was caked. Eyeliner winked at angles I could not work out. The gray hoodie and faded jeans hung from an emaciated frame, a far cry from curves and glittery thong, and, and she was talking a lot about being lonely, about not having many friends, about getting bored of dancing, but the money is really good, and if she wanted all that spare time and cash, well, she couldn't do anything else, and her love life, well, it was kind of a mess, but hey, running into me, she hoped, well, maybe things could change. 
she spoke about her son having trouble at school, how his father was never any help, and through all of this, I am really struggling to hold her eye contact because she wasn't someone I could project fantasies onto. She had become far too real. I avoid the cafe after that day, and months later I go to a strip club, but it isn't the same. I couldn't get off on it, so I, so I never went to one, ever, again. Yeah, I'm Paula Varjak. Um, Varjak is like carjack, but with a V. Uh, I am the only Paula Varjak in the internet, so if you Google me, it's like a flyer that takes over all of Google's search history. Um, I'm going to be at the back. I've got a show called How I Became Myself by Becoming Someone Else. It's 12.30 every day at Cowgate Head, and I will see you as you walk out in a minute. Thanks. Paula Varjak. And now maybe all of the performers, if you want to go to the back now, this is a good moment. Um, and while they go, I want you to give them all a wonderful round of applause. Katrina James, Joanne Tremarco, Joanna Neary, and Paula Vardek. Thank you so much for being my guests. So I, oh, and thank you so much for coming, everybody. This has been, this has been Stand Up Tragedy. Um, Stand Up Tragedy is here every night, uh, except tomorrow night is Getting Better Acquainted. It's part of the same family. It's all on the same flyer. I will be interviewed by, by Dave, who was somewhere in the darkness over there. So if you want to find out more about me, I, I probably don't, but if you did, you could come along at 7.30 tomorrow. Um, all the other days of the week, it's Stand Up Tragedy, so come back. Um, tell your friends you're on. Um, that's it. Thank you very much. I shall be in the back. with. I don't have flyers, but I have my business card. So if you wanted to find out more about me, I shall be doing that. Um, give yourselves a round of applause. Thank Bye. you. Bye. 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 Bye.